Al Jazeera Podcasts. Germany is taking a stand at The Hague. One can criticize the Israeli military for using harsh measures in the Gaza Strip. However, that does not constitute genocide. That's Robert Habeck, Germany's vice chancellor, speaking from Jerusalem. Those who would commit genocide or desire to do so if given the opportunity are Hamas. Germany says it will intervene in the genocide case against Israel, its longtime ally, in front of the International Court of Justice. The German federal government says it will request to join the case as a third party in support of Israel. The decision follows months of what the German government sees as protecting Israel at home, arrests at protests, and the banning of slogans and Palestinian symbols. Palestinians going through checkpoints to go to their homes and neighborhoods. Now, I'm not talking about the West Bank. I'm talking about Berlin, Germany. So what's behind Germany's unwavering support for Israel? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Imagine a conversation in Germany post-World War II. That was really bad. Yeah, it really was. That's activist Lucas Fabraro. He's been recording TikToks like these from his home in Berlin. And in this video, he's playing two roles. I'm so sorry. You should be. But let me tell you right now, I learned my lesson. One side of the camera, it's labeled the Jewish people. Good. I mean, you can't undo the past, but the least you can do is... On the other, Germany. Unconditionally support another nationalist state that will forever dehumanize, ethnically cleanse, and persecute a population. I'm sorry, what? As a day job, Lucas is the communications director of DiEM25, a progressive political movement in Europe. I live in Berlin. I'm from Brazil originally. DiEM25 is a pan-European political movement. It was founded in 2016 by Yanis Varoufakis. And we also have political parties affiliated with this movement in Germany, in Italy, and in Greece. They're all called Mer25. But you're also, I guess in your spare time, a content creator. And your reels and your TikToks have really traveled so far now, circulated so widely over the internet because of the content, which is very timely. And that is Palestine, Gaza, Israel content. So talk to me about how that started. I think it's, it's just this sort of issue that once you get into the history of it, once you get into the, the particulars of the things that have happened, borderline impossible for it not to become an issue very close to your heart, I would say. So for me, that's, that's basically what it is. So what happened at the ICJ has now involved the country you live in. So let's delve into that. South Africa recently presented a case to the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of genocide in Gaza. And soon after, Germany announced that it would intervene on Israel's behalf as a third party. Was this expected? And what motivation did Germany have to make a move like this? Well, 
If you've been paying attention to what's going on in Germany, the German government has dismissed South Africa's case essentially against Israel as baseless. It's not surprising in the least. Um, I think really what's the the, the, the eye popping callousness is in the is in the details. So the fact that they chose to not only dismiss it but chose to intervene as a third party on behalf of Israel which is not something that is terribly common in the ICJ, and that they chose to do so on the anniversary of the beginning of the Herero and Nama rebellion in, in 1904 in the German colony in Africa, which is now part of Namibia, which would lead to the first genocide of the 20th century, which was perpetrated by the German Empire, the lesser known of the genocides perpetrated by, by Germany uh, last century. So it's hard um, when we talk about Germany and its relationship with Israel, it's really hard to discern the, the logic behind it in some instances. And to me, that's one of those instances. So taking it back to Germany, Germany and Zionism have long been linked, dating back to the end of World War II and the atrocities of the Holocaust. The Holocaust was one of the most horrific events in modern history. It was an attempt by the Nazis to wipe out the entire Jewish community in Europe. Can you talk about how that evolved into today's alliance with the state of Israel? So I think this sort of limitless support for the state of Israel, which you know has been taking place from the 60s onwards, it served then and it continues to serve two important goals for Germany. The first one is external. It allows Germany to say to the world, never mind that we never fully denazified as a state, which we didn't. Uh, never mind that anti-Semitism is still a deep-seated issue in white German society, which it is. Um, we support the Jewish state. We embrace it as a bastion of the West in the Middle East, will aid it economically, will arm it to the teeth. And then they are, as a result, welcome back in the international stage as an integral part of the West after World War II. And then there's the internal goal, which is to allow German society to expiate its sins from the Holocaust that exists in its collective consciousness and because Israel is so criticized in the global stage as a result of its long records of uh, violations of international law, there's also a bonus element here, which is to allow Germany, as now a tireless defender of Israel, which he sees and perceives to be under constant attack, to reacquire a sense of moral superiority, which they have obviously lost any semblance of as a result of the Nazi period. And it allows them to now identify themselves with their victims and therefore become themselves, in a way, victims and not perpetrators anymore. Okay, so let's talk about how that defense of Israel is playing out at home in Germany. Germany has been cracking down on pro-Palestinian sentiment. You posted a TikTok not too long ago about a pro-Palestine protest on New Year's Eve. What happened? And... Can you describe the atmosphere in Berlin since October 7th? So that was about uh, this, this New Year's demonstration. It was scheduled to take place in Neukölln, which is a neighborhood here in Berlin, 
with a large proportion of residents with Arab and Palestinian migration background. It was banned by police under the pretext that it presented a um, safety concern, which is something that's often used by police, this sort of minority reports mentality of, you know, in order to prevent a crime, we need to ban the demonstrations because a crime might take place there. Also, ironically, two pro-Israel demonstrations scheduled for the same day at the same place in the same neighborhood weren't banned by police. So it's a, the, the double standards are also very evident. And it's just, there's something that's been just a part of life here in Berlin, especially if you're pro-Palestine since October 7th. So it, it, it began with basically this blanket ban on pro-Palestine demonstrations in October. For weeks they wanted to vent their anger over Israel's bombardment of Gaza, but they weren't allowed to. German police had banned most Palestinian protests, citing fear of anti-Semitism. In Berlin, which has one of the largest Palestinian populations outside of the Middle East, even symbols such as the Palestinian flag, and even as much as wearing a kefir in public, were prohibited at points in October. Hmm. The climate of repression and intimidation remains there was a particularly bizarre case that I recall in Frankfurt back in November in which a protester was detained for holding up a sign saying, this Mexican supports Palestine. Oh, wow. The justification was it had a drawing of a raised fist, which the police deemed to be offensive. This, of course, goes beyond what happens at protests. So people have lost jobs over posting pro-Palestine content online. Numerous events featuring artists and public figures in general who are critical of Israel, such as Jeremy Corbyn, the writer Masha Gessen, Bernie Sanders even, have either been cancelled or faced boycott pressure. Hmm. And of course, it's worse of all for Palestinians living in Germany and Arabs and Muslims in general. Here's Germany's foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, speaking at a foreign policy event in Berlin in November. Anti-Semitic hatred and anti-Israel agitation is not an opinion. Those who live in Germany and who question Israel's right to existence or even put into perspective the Holocaust will encounter our determined resistance with all its consequences. People who are in often precarious conditions as far as visas and residence permits are concerned, which now face public pressure to distance themselves from anti-Semitism and the actions of Hamas, or their presence may not be tolerated in Germany uh, for much longer. The assumption being that unless you speak up against anti-Semitism and the targeting of civilians when you're Arab or Muslim, you're presumed to support them, which is pure, naked racism. So how is Germany's culture of never again playing out today? That's after the break. On the next Necessary Tomorrows, the United States is returning to the moon. And liftoff of Artemis 1. We're in a space race today, just as we were in the 1960s. And the stakes are even higher. But some, like science fiction writer Deji Alukatin, wondered if humanity would learn lessons from its past. If we're going to move off of our planet, how do we do that in a responsible way? We can't assume that we can just grab whatever we want and it'll come back. Sharing the Stars on Necessary Tomorrows, a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. 
Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Lucas, Germany has what it calls a culture of remembrance. What is that? And how have you seen it play into the German government's unwavering support of Israel? You know, it's a much lauded culture. And if you look at it from the outside, it does seem that um, a lot of what Germany has done to reckon with the legacy of the Holocaust is commendable. A lot of it is commendable, but I think there's a very revealing quote by Rolf Vogel, a German post-war journalist who, whose work focused a lot on German-Israeli relations. He said, the, the Uzi in the hand of the German soldier is better than any brochure against anti-Semitism. Mm. The Uzi, of course, being the, the famous Israeli submachine gun. I think that encapsulates this relationship very well. So there is this element of the supporters hate of Israel in, as far as foreign relations is concerned, um, but also this very perverted treatment of the topic of anti-Semitism at home. The pinnacle of irony is that Germany has a large bureaucracy ostensibly to fight anti-Semitism. So again, once you start looking a little bit more closely into Germany's remembrance culture, you start noticing some uh, very concerning facts and developments. So, Lucas, I want to end where we began uh, with the charge of genocide and what you referenced in the first place on why um, Germany's decision to intervene at the ICJ was so ironic, especially given the day they did it. And that is because of one of the historical events that should be part of Germany's culture of remembrance, but often isn't, is that first genocide of the 20th century that we talked about. German troops killed tens of thousands of Nama and Herero people in present-day Namibia. Between 1904 and 1908, German forces killed more than 70,000 indigenous people. When Germany announced it would intervene, Namibia condemned Germany's decision. The Namibian president says Germany has failed to learn lessons from its colonial past. What should we take away from that? I think what most of us take away from it is the perverse irony uh, of it all and sort of the, the tone deafness of the German state. Germany has this history of genocide that goes beyond World War II, a history that involves Namibia directly. The Herrera and Nama genocides are genocides for which the German government, according to Namibia, has never fully atoned for. They're lesser known of the genocides perpetrated by, by Germany uh, last century. Something that's also very striking is that if you learn a little bit more about the Herero and Nama genocides, uh, a lot of the victims in that genocide died as a result of starvation and dehydration as German forces trapped them in a desert with no access to food or water, prevented them from leaving. So even there, you know, it, the, the parallels with Gaza also become uh, even more striking. I think the important question, though, is what is it that the German state and German society, what is it that they take away from it? It's, it's a very uh, concerning path that German society is heading towards. So my hope is that the German government and German society 
start taking some things away from these statements as well. Lucas, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Malika. It's a pleasure. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Ashish Malhotra with Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, Zainab Bazar, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliayi, Sariel Khalili, Veronisa Campana, Chloe Kaylee, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.